The Spin-Off Podcast Network. This episode contains themes of suicide, child sexual abuse, and mental distress. Please take care. Kia ora, I'm Jane Yee, and welcome to This Is Kiwi, a podcast series brought to you by Kiwi Bank and the Spin-Off Podcast Network. In this series, I'll meet with incredible New Zealanders who've achieved remarkable things, uncovering what makes them tick and the influences that have helped to shape their ideas. Most importantly, This Is Kiwi will bring you knowledge for better. The incredible power of determination, passion and self-belief that we can all learn from and apply to our own lives every day. So join me on this unique journey as we celebrate the Kiwi spirit and learn what it takes to make a difference. This is Kiwi, where ordinary people do extraordinary things. Today we're talking about resilience, and they don't come much more resilient than mental health advocate, author, director, speaker, reality TV contestant, and social media star, Jazz Thornton. Perhaps you're one of her three and a half million followers. Jazz lives a lot of her life in the public eye, and a lot of that involves sharing her story. She survived things no one should ever have to endure, and yet every day she gets up with one purpose in mind, helping others. Through her charity Voices of Hope and her other mahi, Jazz has made a huge impact on how we talk about mental health, particularly with rangatahi, but she also puts in the work at the coalface of crises. She sits at bedsides, she meets with Fano, and personally facilitates practical help for those who are struggling. She does all of this while still working through some of her own mental health challenges. For her incredible work, Jazz was named in Forbes 30 Under 30 Asia list for social impact. She co-hosted the United Nations Speak Your Mind campaign launch in New York and received the Commonwealth Points of Light Award from Queen Elizabeth II. Having experienced abuse, poverty and homelessness, Jazz has found the strength to prioritise her mental health and life prospects in order to help others. And while you have no doubt encountered Jazz or her work through a screen at some point, what you're about to hear is a really unique conversation that will truly show you what resilience means and hopefully help you find strength in yourself you didn't know you had. Here's Jazz Thornton on This Is Kiwi. Jazz Thornton, I'm really excited to have you here, not only because you're an amazing person, but also because you're a dear friend of mine Aww. and how fun that we get to chat like this. I'm so excited. I mean, we chat all the time, but yes. not like we're about to chat. Yes, <laughs> very much so. <laughs> you are sort of an accidental mental health advocate. Do you think that would be a fair way to describe it? Yes, I think accidental is probably a good way to, oh, I don't know if necessarily accidental, but the extent in which it got right. is accidental. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Because you obviously, you know, your story is reasonably well known to a certain audience of two million plus uh, on TikTok at least, and then further beyond in terms of some of the television you've st- stuff you've done, Dancing with the Stars, Celebrity Treasure Island. You've done a lot, actually. <laughs> but let's go way back and just find out a little bit more about you and how you got to be where you are now um, for anyone who might not be familiar with your story. Yeah, sure. Um, so I grew up um, in I, what I would consider a very small town in the South Island, Timaru, um, and was born into what I would say is quite like an unfortunately common household in New Zealand where it was broken um, and it wasn't, parents weren't together and, and all of that kind of thing. Um, but 
my life kind of took quite a significant turn when I was three. Um, and there were multiple different things that happened that kind of then, I guess, shifted the rest of my, at least up to my teenage years, mm. um, where I was sexually abused by um, three different men. And at the time, I didn't really know what was going on. Like, I, I didn't understand the impact that it would have or anything like that. Um, but it was significant. And um, at that same age, I, I watched my biological dad leave and never come back. And so there was kind of something in this little three-year-old brain that said, if I do anything wrong, people will leave me. Um, and growing up with that belief was really detrimental. Um, and I started school and was getting bullied a lot in school um, and then going home and there was, you know, stuff going on at home. And so I kind of felt like I was just in this continuous cycle of just like, I, there's no way of getting out of this. Um, and these kind of beliefs began to develop in me that I wasn't good enough, I didn't belong, um, I was unlovable. And these were coming from both my experiences at home, but also my experiences at school um, and getting bullied there. And so uh, when I was 12 years old, I made a decision that no 12-year-old should ever make. Um, and that was the decision to try and end my own life. And I don't think I knew as a 12-year-old like what the gravity of that actually meant. But at the time, I just didn't care. Like I just wanted out. Um, and very thankfully that obviously didn't work. Um, and a couple of weeks after that, there was this thing that came into my school that was called the revolution tour. Um, and there was this woman, her name was Esther and she starts sharing her story. And I was sitting there going, this is amazing. Like, I want to do that one day, but I could never do that because look at my situation. Like everyone hates me. I hate me. Like this is never going to happen. Um, Anyway, fast forward, um, 16 years old, leave home. I'm like, i got to get out of here. Um, so I moved to Auckland. I had been working at a fish and chip shop at the time to save up, which was fun because I'm allergic to seafood. Um, but it was the only place that would take me. Um, and, yeah, I kind of moved to Auckland and then spent the first couple of years just in and out of psych wards, uh, lived in 14 different, like, houses, was in women's refuges, was on the streets, and everything was just kind of at the ultimate low to the point that psychologists um, and professionals were like, there's not a lot that we can do for you. Like, wow. And it was scary hearing that, yeah. but also just wholeheartedly not wanting to be here. Um, and I ended up running into um, Esther, who came to my school when I was 12 years old, um, in the bathroom at an event that I was at. That's amazing. <laughs> it was crazy. And I was like, you were at my, like, what? Um, you were this woman who told me like, in all things, there is hope, like what is going on? And she ended up becoming a very close friend of mine um, and really helped me eventually learn how to really fight through all of that. Um, and it took a very long time um, to eventually kind of wake up and be excited for life and wake up and think maybe everyone doesn't hate me. Um, but yeah, it was a process. And now I get to do all the the crazy things that I do. <laughs> that's kind of the abridged version. I know there's lots yeah. of other stuff. There's lots of other stuff in between, um, but that's an awful lot to fit into a very young life. And a lot of it's not the kind of stuff that you want to fit into your life. No, you know? no. Def and I, I lived a lot of life very resentful for that and seeing like other people's families that were just together or like going on family holidays. Like I had to steal my school uniform from the lost property bin because we were that broke. Um, and then now I look back at it and I'm like, it was 
horrific, but also I don't know if I would necessarily take any of it back because of the life I get to live now and the people I get to impact because of how broad my story is and that it covers a lot of subjects. Um, I can relate to so many people. You can relate, and I can relate to you on a, a weird level as well because I actually, around your age, was also a public-facing mental health mm. advocate and have had my own struggles. And these are a lot of the conversations that you and I have had together. And I'm many years your senior, um, so you're talking to everyone from really young kids, you know, right up to people like me and beyond. It's really hard hearing you talk about your 12-year-old self because I have a son who's 11 mm. and I just can't imagine. I just can't imagine. It's, it's really heartbreaking. And the kind of strength that you've shown to do what you do and do what you do for others is honestly incredible. Do you, do you recognise that in yourself? Um, like, do you know how strong you are? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think like every time that someone comes up to me and, you know, says that they chose to stay after seeing something, it's like, oh, that's like, that's really cool. But I think it's, I'm so aware that I'm not the person saving anyone. Like all I do is go, hey, there's hope. And they're the ones who choose to actively stay. So I think like, um, sometimes I do sit there and even just like look at my books that I wrote that are on my shelf and be like, huh, <laughs> like, that's what I did that. That's so wild. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you're so humble. Oh, well, I'm here to tell you that you're incredible and your strength is just beyond. And I've seen that personally. I think a lot of people have seen it publicly. I know that it's not a journey that has a lovely endpoint where you mm-hmm. discover that actually I can get through this and everything's going to be okay and I can work really hard on myself and then everything's going to be sunshine and roses. Oh gosh, no. I know that it is an ongoing thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've literally seen that with me um, and, you know, it was especially around when Treasure Island for me was um, was coming out and the thing that was happening with that, um, yeah, and I was like, and I ended up going back on antidepressants for the first time in, in so long. And you were actually one of the people that said to me, like, dude, it's maintenance. Like, it's fine. And yeah, I, it's I was not like, failure. Ah. Yeah, well, that, and that's it, for, it was like a moment. And I also was like, why am I, like, I'm always telling other people to go on it. I don't know why I have different expectations for myself. Um, so that was very helpful. And then I'm like, oh, actually, it was a really good thing to have done. I'm very glad I did that. I'm really glad <laughs> that you did too. And it is, it is maintenance. I mean, you have been through so much really intense stuff and it's you know speaking from my own experience as well it's really hard just getting up each day sometimes um, when you're struggling with your own mental health stuff but then to do that and be on for the entire world and help because we're talking the entire world your audience (laughs) is global but then also to help other people in that you know because there's a lot of stuff that comes with being public facing talking about these things and almost a responsibility, I guess, that comes with that. Yeah. How hard is that? It It's really hard sometimes. Like I um, recently had, I, I think, probably one of the worst weeks of my life um, and actually just like the worst night and the day after I had to go straight to the airport to get on a flight to go to Sydney to speak at an event and speak from the point of hope and um, – And that was really, really hard to do because I was like, I'm in the middle of this, like, this is so hard. And now I have this responsibility to tell other people that there's hope. But kind of in that moment, still being like, even though I'm feeling like this, I know 
deep down that there is always hope. So I can speak to that. But it was it was hard. And there have been so many times where I've had to get up and speak because that is a huge part of my job is speaking in schools or corporate conferences all around the world um, where I'm having a terrible day. And I still get up and do it. And um, I think that's just the part of me that is like, it's selfish of me to not do it when I know that I can, you know, get up and speak to however many hundreds, thousands of people that might be in the room. Um, and out of those people that need to hear that, that might choose to stay another day because you've got no idea, you know, what stories you're walking into. So, yeah, it's hard. Um, but oh, Well, I was with it. you that night, so I remember yes. how hard it was for you. Yes, you were. <laughs> and I remember having to say goodbye to you and being like, I'm worried, but also – you reassured me it was okay. You were going to get on the plane in the morning and that's mm-hmm. that, that resilience that you have. You have this amazing charity, Voices of Hope. Tell us about the charity. Um, Voices of Hope was created by myself and a friend of mine, Genevieve Mora, um, and it, the whole basis is lived experience mental health stories. And we did it because both of us, when we were in psych wards as teenagers, we'd spend so much time just trying to like research other people's stories because it's one thing for – a psychologist to get alongside you and help you. But if you don't believe internally that there is hope, you're not going to listen to anything that the psychologist says. And I was finding that. Um, And so there was just this like desperation to know anyone else that's been through this. And we couldn't find anything. Um, And back then people weren't really talking as much as they are now. Um, And so we, we created Voices of Hope. We, um, I had an interest in storytelling and um, went to study directing. Um, and, yeah, we recreated it and it ended up going global very quickly, which was awesome. Um, and we do it all through film, series, uh, podcast, writing, all of the all of the things, all the campaigns. Yeah. So it's not just sort of getting in money from, from donors mm-hmm. and then shelling that straight out to people, though there is some of that. Yes. There's, you do help some people directly with therapy and so on. Yes, that's, that's uh, not voices, that's me personally, but that's not like super known. Okay, um, lay, it, lay but- it all out. How does it, how does it all work? Because I've never run a charity. Um, so, yeah, we get we get a lot of, uh, you know, you get funding from private donors um, or people that will fundraise for us, um, which is really cool. And then all of that goes out to um, – so we've, we've found – when we first started, we wanted to try to do everything. We were doing the kind of hope storytelling and then we felt this pressure to do government advocacy and to do all the practical things and it got too much. Mm. Um, and we kind of stood back and we were like, actually, what are we really good at and what gap are we trying to fill? And it was the lived experience storytelling that people will know that there's hope. So we kind of refocused that because there were other organisations and other people that are doing the government advocacy. And I still personally will do a lot of that, but not as an organisation. And so we now kind of, through the donations that come through, through corporates or um, people will be like, uh, for example, our gold sponsors, and they will give us a certain amount every year. Um, that helps us do all of these campaigns, um, which, I mean, you all know in, in film world can cost a lot mm-hmm. um, to do them well. At the start, we were doing them off like film, like school student budgets, like very minimal. And we managed to make stuff. Our first ever video I directed got 80 million views, and this was back before TikTok was a thing. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that was like, we, I think we spent like $300 doing that thing, and now obviously it we upped our level and some of them are televised and, you know, so, yeah, that's kind of private donors, people fundraising. Yeah. How does it feel asking people for money? Um, It's so unnatural. <laughs> like, I, yeah, it's so unnatural. I think um, 
we it's a lot easier for us to go, hey, here are the numbers of people that we've been able to impact. Mm. Here are the thousands of messages that we've got. Like you can you can be a part of kind of helping us do this. So yeah, I I I don't like it because I'm just so like <laughs> ah. <laughs> Um, but that's also because I was like that growing up, like growing up so broke and not having anything. Like I was too embarrassed to ever ask for anything. And so I just never did. So you just stole the school uniform. Yes. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> not like a terrible person. We don't advocate that. We no, just, we don't. We're just talking about Jazz's story. <laughs> <laughs> don't go steal your school uniform. Um, but yeah, I just, I didn't know how to ask. And I feel like that kind of translated a little bit. But when it wasn't about me, it was a lot easier. Yeah. Like this is not, not about me whatsoever. I don't get paid from Voices of Hope at all. Um, and that's so that the funding can go into making campaigns. Right. And even when I'm directing them, I'm not getting paid for that. Um, so we're always trying to make sure that we're filtering it into the impact. That's really interesting because mm. a lot of people who head up charities, uh, they work really hard and they get paid out of the mm. don't because, you know, that's part of the administration of running a charity and Absolutely. it's completely fair. But you've made – and so you could do the same. But you've made a conscious yeah. decision to funnel everything back in yeah. to the charity. And I was able to do that because my career was starting to take off in other ways as well, which were all pointing back to Voices of Hope. So my co-founder um, is employed by Voices of Hope because she is the, the manager um, and that's her full-time job. Um, whereas I'm on the board, I do the creative directing. I will, you know, help come up with all the campaigns and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I made that decision a, a while ago to not be on, or not be on the payroll, so that it could just get funneled through. That's really interesting, and I'm glad people get the opportunity to hear that because <laughs> you know I've seen you, you know being online as much as you are, and being your friend, I see stuff online about you. Some of it is, most of it is absolutely, you know, uh, people adore you. <laughs> you have a real way with young people, and there are always critics. Always, always yeah. there are critics and there are some people I've seen saying things like, um, you know, Jazz doesn't do much with their charity. Well, I mean, <laughs> you clearly do a lot, but also you're not getting paid by your charity. You have mm -mm. set it up. You're on the board. These are the invisible things that people don't see, right? Yeah. And I know you do tons of invisible stuff behind the scenes and I know you go and visit, you know, young people who are – like right on the edge yeah. in psych wards regularly mm -hmm. without cameras, <laughs> without your TikTok on, you know. What other things are there that you do that <laughs> that people don't know about? Oh, man. I just want people I, to know how good of a person you actually are. I just like I don't ever like to be the person that broadcasts like these are the things that I do. Um but I get, I like, I do see, I see a lot of the hate that I get. And a lot of my friends get really annoyed at it because they obviously see it. But like, um, like my second book, um, all of the royalties from that go straight to the charity. And my third book, um, all the royalties from that go to funding therapy for other people. So I didn't take anything from those. Um, it's just so generous because coming from a place where you didn't have a lot of money, you can see there would be a temptation. To be like, well, this is kind of my meal ticket here. Like this is this my life can look really, really different. And I know that you're not, you know, you're mm. not struggling financially. No. You're making sure that you have what you need. But you could have a lot more in your back pockets if you wanted to. Oh, absolutely. Like I yeah. <laughs> um, and even my accountant occasionally will remind me of that. But um I think that coming from the position that I did and struggling in the way that I did, um, has made me so – probably not the right thing to say necessarily on a like a banking podcast, <laughs> but it made me a lot more like 
not really that caring about money in the way that I know that it will create so much more impact for other people than what it will for me buying something else or, you know. I disagree that that's not caring about money. I think that's caring a lot about money and being really intentional with it. Yeah. I just don't, like, I I don't care about me having to, like, stock up. But I I also think a lot of that came from the fact that for so many years of my life, I didn't think I would be here. So planning for the future. And again, you've been in conversations with me about buying a house and I'm like, ah, a really big commitment because for when you live most of your life going, I'm not going to be alive at this point, like suddenly you're in a 30-year commitment, like it's a long time to commit. I know. And I was like, you can always sell. You can always sell <laughs> if it starts to feel like too much. Oh, you it's don't- such big kid conversations. <laughs> I'm like, oh gosh. Um, but yeah, no, I give, I even personally, like there's been a lot of people that I see struggling. I had a neighbor um, that was really, really struggling a while ago and just was able to just give to them, which I love. I have a specific account that's only for giving to people. Um, so, yeah, but it's, it's something that I'm very, I'm glad I get to do um, and I don't think I'll ever stop. Like it's, and I don't do it to be like, hey, here's all the things. Like literally no one really knows. It. No, I know, I know. I'm kind of, I know I'm kind of forcing your hand here um, as a friend, but also just as a, you know, a citizen. I think it's important that people know because your generous spirit um is, you know, you're obviously very generous with your time. You're very generous with money. Um, but, you know, people see you on TikTok and it's only just one mm-hmm. facet of who you are. And there's mm-hmm. so much more to you than that. Coming from this background that you have, did you know there was something in you that wanted more? I think there was always something that wanted more. There was never the belief that I would get it. So how did you get that belief? Like, how did you get that? Um, <laughs> it was literally like the process of learning how to fight, which was a conversation that I had with Esther um, and is the basis of my whole first book where it was literally like, you think you've been fighting this whole time, but all you're doing is surviving. If you want things to change, you have to learn how to fight. And for me, that was just such a kicker of like, oh my gosh, I've actually just been surviving this whole time. And if fighting can change something, then I've got to learn how to do that. And I think that having a couple of people like her and there were other people that had become kind of like my adopted parents at the time telling me like, hey, you've got a future. As much as I didn't believe it, when you have people continuously being like, you can do something. Um, And I remember one of the adopted parents, Wayne, um, was in the intensive care unit of the psych ward with me at one point. And he just said, Jazz, I really think one day your story could help change the world. And I was like, I'm in the intensive care unit of a psych ward. I haven't showered in two weeks. I'm homeless. I don't have a job because I got fired because of my mental illness. Like, I, how could you say that? Um, and now he's on the board of Voices of Hope with us. And um, it's, yeah, I think just having people that believed in that, but then also knowing that um, it's impossible to fight if you don't know what you're fighting for. And so just having a dream for like in a year's time and um, knowing that I wanted to be able to learn to help other people, I think that was a big motivator. But I've always been like that. I really like helping people. I had someone reach out to me on Instagram the other day um, who remembered that I they went to the same primary school as me and they were five years old and I was, I think, eight. Um, and she was like, I just have to say thank you. Like you took me in and you were like really nice Aww. to me. And I was like, oh. So I think I've always kind of been like, I want to help people. I just didn't know what that looked like. Um, yeah, but it was, I guess, a bit of a driving force for me to go, actually, I don't want other people to be 
in the same situation, feeling as alone as I did, feeling like, you know, the world is going to be better off without you in it. Like, how do we help change that? You know, you mentioned not having much, having to, you know, acquire the school uniform the way that you did. Um, And I wonder how much money was talked about in your household. Oh, not at all. Right. Not remotely. Like, I was so financially illiterate. Like, I had, I knew that we were really broke. um, And I knew that because one of my core memories was when I was like nine years old and I was with um, a family friend in their car and we stopped at a gas station and she came out with like a bottle of Sprite and like a packet of chips for all of the kids that were in the car. And I was like, whoa. Thought you'd won the the lotto or something. Like you are so rich. Like you are, I can't believe you did that. Um, And and I just kind of realized how, you know, broke we were. Um, But then also as a teenager and I moved out of home and I didn't have any contact with my family at all, I ended up getting and it was around $40,000 of debt between the ages of like 18 to 20. Wow. Um, and I didn't know this about you. Yeah, it was, it's only been cleared like three years ago. Um, and I was like, it was crazy because I, I had got my first kind of like full-time job and then I just got, was able to get this loan and I was like, oh, cool, I can get a car. Um, and then I just was able to kind of keep getting loans and I just had no idea what I was doing. Well, and you also didn't have the long-term perspective. Not at all. For a number of reasons. Yeah, a, you, a, you were young. <laughs> B, you always operated on the short term. Yeah. Yeah, I was so – it was so bad. Um, and I think a lot of it was me trying to almost live the life that I had seen growing up that yeah. I so desperately wanted of like, I want to be able to – get the bottle of Sprite from the petrol station. Like, um, but also because I was living off absolute bare minimum and like even when we started Voices of Hope that first year when I was still in film school and making Jessica's Tree, I would take food home from shoots because I hadn't eaten in like three days. Um, And yeah, so there was kind of like so many different aspects to it. But yeah, Even while you were making those films? Yeah. I was so broke. I had nothing, like literally nothing. Um, and not, people wouldn't know that. No. And people, that's also like Voices of Hope got the success that it did because of how much that year I sacrificed to be able to do it. Like I could have and probably should have got a, a part-time job while I was studying full-time at film school so that I could afford to live. But I knew that at that time was when I needed to be doing the stuff for Voices of Hope and creating all that initial content and doing all those initial things. Um, and, yeah, so it was literally like – and Jen will say as well, Jen would always be like, you can take like take the food home, it's okay, because she saw it, you know, or I couldn't afford to pay for parking if we went into things. Like I was so – I already started making money like just after COVID hit. Um, so, yeah, it was it – was, I still now – am having to learn so much. Um, and again, you know this. I feel like you've known so much about me in such a short <laughs> amount of time we've known each other. Uh, but just even being like, I don't know how this whole thing works with buying a house because I also haven't had the figures there to help kind of guide me with it. That I'm like, even when I started earning money and I was like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, th- How do you trust people? Like how do you know that I'm not like going to take you for a ride and like, you know. <laughs> So oh, you are, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but you know, it's a tricky yeah. thing. I guess you've had yeah. a history of people who have betrayed your t- trust. Yes. You're in a position now where you are making some money and um and you want to make some good decisions with your money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you need a little help from other people to get some guidance. Yeah. How do you know who to trust? Um 
I there's very minimal people that um, kind of help me with that. Um, obviously, my accountant is trustworthy because <laughs> she's an accountant. Um, and then uh, those people who know my story will know of Dr. Steph, who was a very big part in kind of helping literally save my life, um, has become like family as well now. Mm. And so um, her and her husband have been kind of helping me as well. Um, but it is quite hard because even like friendship-wise, there's kind of always this expectation, which I kind of set because I don't mind where I will pay for everything all the time. Um, and that's just because I'm aware of like what it was like when I was broke and I would go out to dinner and I'll be like, oh, just order a side because I can't, you know. So I got into that habit of, of doing that. But then it also kind of for some friendships that I don't have anymore um, became this expectation as well. So it's it's definitely a tricky thing to learn. Um, and you're still learning. I'm absolutely. I have no idea what I'm doing. Getting that first thing where my end of year taxes or whatever it was were due, um, and seeing how much I had made, and then being like, "But where did it go? <laughs> <laughs> where, where is it?" Was really wait like a big wake up call for me, and I was like, "Oh my! I've literally just been like." spending both on myself and also on other people, um, you should probably be a little bit wiser, Jazz. So yeah. it's been a couple of years now that I've been learning. <laughs> We've all had those where did it all go yeah. moments. <laughs> it's highly, highly relatable. Um, there are going to be people listening who are struggling right now. I think that's probably the way with Jazz Thornton. Anything you do, there are going to be people who gravitate towards that because they love hearing from you. They love hearing what you have to say. They feel empowered and they see hope in the message that you're delivering. Um, and I just want to point out that your TikTok has so many amazing little bite-sized messages that people need to hear right now. So if you're listening right now and you're struggling, I can definitely recommend going to Jazz's TikTok and checking some stuff out. Some people will look at it and go, cringe. And some Correct. people <laughs> – but they're not the people that need to see it. Yeah. And – Stuff that I think I probably, like, in all honesty, would have thought was quite cringe. There are moments when I've been scrolling and you've popped up and I've gone, I really needed to hear that today. And it's actually really, I'm very privileged to be able to hear it from someone I can call a friend as well. Mm -hmm. But you're a friend to a lot of people online. You really are. It's that, that sort of strange parasocial relationships. <laughs> um, you're having making a massive impact. And I think you should be really, really proud of yourself. And you are easily one of the most resilient people I have ever met in my life. And you've still got so many years left to keep building that resilience. There's so much ahead of you. Thank you. Jess, if there was one thing Kiwi could do who are listening right now this week to start achieving their goals, what would it be? Oh, this week. Well, I mean, I think – the the easiest thing and one of the biggest things for me was quite literally writing like your alter if I always did it and if there was nothing that was going to be in my way what would I want to do and I actually did this when I was in the psych ward um, my nurse was like you have to write a bucket list and I was like I'm not writing a bucket list I don't plan to be here that's dumb um, and she's like no like think of if you weren't struggling like this what would you do um, and at the top of my bucket list was to go to New York City um, and now I get to work there all the time which is crazy but I think being able to actually like visually put it down is, is a really big thing, but also um, even just kind of thinking about the people that are around you. Um, there's a guy by the name of Reggie Dabbs in America who says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Um, and I think that's really relevant. I think that if you are surrounded by people that empower you, that encourage you to dream, um, that is a really good thing. But if you're around people who are just kind of 
mucking around or aren't adding any value to you. Like even looking at that kind of in, in the week and just, no, obviously you don't have to cut a whole bunch of people off you, but just kind of being aware of like that who you surround yourself with really matters um, and actively choosing to surround yourself with people that are encouraging you um, and that have maybe similar mindsets or diff- activating different strengths um, can really help too. So don't always stop take of the people in your life. Yeah. Jess, we've spoken about how difficult your life has been both at home and, you know, when you were young and beyond. And every day you get up and you show up for others. Um, What is your drive that keeps you going, particularly when things are really challenging for you? I think that I will always think back on the individuals that I get to meet in real life that will come up to me and there's this app um, that's called I Am Sober that I started a trend with on TikTok where people were celebrating their recovery and people will literally come up to me and will show me their app and be like, look, I'm six months suicide attempt free. And I think that is always such a big thing of like you get to physically see the people that are being impacted. I also think a lot of it um, has come from the friend of mine who passed away that I did Jessica's Tree about. Um, and going through that pain and never wanting anyone else to go through that um, and to basically be able to create a world in which she could have stayed um, I think is a really big thing too. So like there's, it's a mixture of both of those things of knowing the impact, seeing the impact, knowing how much people are struggling um, and how much a message of hope can just help them stay another day and also – that even if I am having a bad day, like how do I still continue to create a world in which Jess could have stayed? Um, So I think those are probably the two biggest things that continue to drive me. In terms of financial literacy, um, I know you're still on a journey, but you've definitely learned things along the way that I feel like could be useful to other people, wherever, whatever stage they're at in their financial journey. Do you have any advice that you could kind of give out to people? Um, Don't get into $40,000 of debt. (laughs) I think that was one of the worst things that I did. But I think um, if you don't have the ability to have those conversations at home, like I didn't have that ability, um, being able to find anyone else in your world that you might be able to talk to who is older and wiser, um, I think is kind of a a key thing. Um, Or just wiser even, you know, but just someone that is able to actually give you advice, like for me being able to talk to – um, Dr. Steph and being able to talk to you and being able to talk to my accountant. Um, but also like the internet has some great mm. advice as well. There's a lot of um, apps and some uh, people that I really, really love um, are the girls from Girls That Invest. Yeah. Um, and I've learned a lot from that as well. Like there are practical like books that you can get and they've got a great podcast. Um, Simran was a guest on this series oh, in the first season I as well. love her. I just met her for the first time in the States recently. Um, and yeah, she's been like the fantastic. Um, but finding things like that that you relate to, there's so many people with the accessibility now of with the accessibility now of um, social media and like the way that you can get different podcasts and stuff. There's just so many things that you can access that will work for you. Because what worked for me might not necessarily work for you, but there's so much out there. I feel like you have such a strong um, voice in terms of young people, and I know that when I was young and when you were in your forty thousand dollars of debt, like. Mental health challenges aside, like you don't think a lot about the future. You think, I'll be fine. I'll just get a high paying job and I'll be sweet as. You have this opportunity right now (laughs) to tell people the reality that you get to that future and 
it's yeah yeah <laughs> think about it now <laughs> think about it now I, I really wish that I had done stuff a lot differently like I literally I think it was six months ago was finally able to get a credit card again for the first time since I was a teenager which is really irritating when you spend so much of your time in the states and you can only rent cars overseas if you have a credit card but I literally couldn't get one because my credit score was so bad um and I wish that I knew like hey maybe don't get yourself into all of this debt because it will affect you because you will actually still be here. Um, again, that was another thing that I was like, ah, oh, like I won't be here for the five years that it's, of course, and now I'm here and having to deal with the consequences of that and bad credit scores. And I don't even know, trying to buy a house, what it's going to look like. Um, I think it's clear, like for what I understand, it's clear now. But um, yeah, there's been, there's been a lot of learnings. We're glad you're here. I think anyone that, you know, that key advice you gave of talk to someone who's wiser, who's had done a few laps around the track, mm-hmm. they, I think every single one of them would advise you, especially if you're a young person um, and you feel indestructible, is to just actually, you really are going to care about this in a few years' time. So do future your future self a favour mm-hmm. and make some wise money decisions. Jazz, it's been so amazing having you in here. I've so loved our chat. I love all our chats, but this has been really special. Thank you so much. This is Resilience. This is Jazz Thornton. This is Kiwi. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.